Guys, take your Bibles now, if you will, and, and open them to um, Joshua. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 23. And you follow as I read um, the first 15 verses. Excuse me, make it 24. Joshua 24. I'll read the first 15 verses of Joshua 24. You follow as I read. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor. And they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. And I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward, I brought you out. Then I brought your fathers, your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued your fathers in chariots, with chariots and horsemen in the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites who lived on the other, on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you and I gave them into your hand and you took possession of their land and I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you and also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out from before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored and cities that you had not built. And you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of the vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God 
It endures forever. Guys, I've entitled my sermon this morning, you may have noticed, um, I'm, I'm calling this a, a Romans 12 moment. I would, I would love to spend more time in the, this chapter of Joshua 24. There's several things in here that I think you would benefit. I mean, for instance, this, um, this statement about the bones of, um, of Joseph over in verse 32. That's an interesting story, but we, we don't have time to look at that. But I want to show you something here that I think, um, that, that Joshua is doing. What he's up to with, with this, this statement or these statements that he makes in the first 15 verses. <clears throat> um, I, as I said, I, I, I'm calling it a Romans 12 uh, moment. If you, if you know anything about Romans 12, you, you know that Romans 12 begins with a very famous verse. Verse 1 in Romans 12 is, is, um, is you've heard it before. In fact, um, it's often memorized, and if you uh, were ever in any, any kind of scripture memory program, you probably probably memorized Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service of worship. That's it. You've heard that before. Well, I, I want you to turn with me. Keep your finger in Joshua 24. Turn over with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 12. And let me let me show you what Paul is doing there. And then we're going to come back and see the similarities between what Paul is doing in Romans 12 and what Joshua is doing in Romans in Joshua 24. <clears throat> Guys, verse 1 of chapter 12 starts a new section in the book of Romans. One of the ways that you can see that, to see it that it's a new section, is through the word therefore. Now, guys, I, I'm sure you've always you've heard this when Bible teachers teach the Bible. They tell you that when you read your Bibles and you find the word therefore, you are to ask the question, what is the therefore therefore? It, it's it's you've heard that before. But I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul is doing. He has spent 11 chapters outlining some of the richest the most profound, the most valuable truth that exists anywhere. The whole doctrine of justification by faith is just one of the things that he lays out in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Having done that, the Apostle Paul comes to this new section, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 12, <clears throat> and he says, therefore. Now, do you see that? <laughs> I, he, he's teaching all of this wonderful stuff. For 11 chapters, he is banging out the intricacies and the profundities of the doctrine of justification by faith. Having completed his explanation of that great doctrine, he then says, in light of all of the beauty that I've just told you about, therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service of worship. In light of the unbelievably marvelous things that I've just explained to you, says Paul, 
I want you to make this application. Understanding now how it is that God has seen fit to save people like us. Therefore, present your bodies as living sacrifices. I told you about this. I told you about this. I told you about this for 11 chapters. I've explained this and I've revealed this. Therefore, present your bodies. The only reasonable, rational response to what I have been teaching you for 11 chapters, says the Apostle Paul, is for us then to respond by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 12. Now go back to Joshua 24. What I'm saying is, Joshua is doing a very similar thing. By the way, just as an aside, he's doing it at a very significant place, too. He's doing it at Shechem. You remember what Shechem was? Where I mean, you might not know where it is, but you remember the significance of Shechem? Well, let me remind you. The first time that God met with Abraham and gave him promises, covenantal promises, was at Shechem. Genesis 12. It was the place where Abraham turned his back on all of the household and family idols and buried them in the sands of Shechem. Um, 20 chapters later, his grandson, Jacob, also buried the family idols under a tree in Shechem. In the book of Joshua, in chapter 8, Joshua calls all of Israel together and they renew the covenant at Shechem. So guys, if we were to take Plymouth Rock, Yorktown, Independence Hall, and Gettysburg and bind it all together, we still wouldn't have what Shechem meant to Israel. That's where this thing is taking place, at Shechem. But now back to the this Romans 12 parallel. Gang, when I read you this text, did you notice what Joshua was doing? It's very simple. It's a, it's a little history review. He is outlining in some very brief ways the history of Israel. In verses 2 through 13, it's a, it's a rehearsal of the story of redemption and at so many points in this little 13 verses, <clears throat> he points out that the only way that they could have survived was because God sovereignly intervened on their behalf. Folks, in verses 2 through 13, the singular personal pronoun I 
is mentioned 17 times. I took you. I gave you. I sent you. I brought you. I delivered you. I destroyed them. 17 times in 11 verses, Joshua is reminding Israel of the things that God had done on their behalf. I brought you. I took you. I sent you. I delivered you. I provided for you. I sustained you. Folks, it opens, this history lesson opens in verse 2 with Joshua looking out over Israel and saying, Hey folks, do you remember how this all started? Do you remember how we got started as a nation? Do you, do you remember that? It was, it was at this very place in Shechem. And it was with Abraham. Look at the text. It's in verse 2. And by the way, Israel, Abraham was no Mr. Goodrich. He was from a family of idolaters. His father was an idolater. He was an idolater. And I went and got him. And I sovereignly extracted him from the, from the miry bog of his paganism. That's how we got started. Joshua reminds Israel. It's, it's as if Joshua says to them, you know where we came from? It was God sovereignly bringing our father Abraham out of idolatry to himself. And he was, that is Abraham was, and we are, the rest of us in Israel, brands plucked from a fire. We owe our very existence to Yahweh. That's how he opens in verse 2 and 3. Do you understand, Israel, that we came from idolatry? Our whole nation, Father Abraham, was an idolater. But God, unpredictably, surprisingly, took Abraham away from that idol-worshipping family of his. And Israel was born. So, you don't need to forget where you came from. You know, guys, just as an aside, um, I I look out over this congregation, and because you've privileged me by um, letting me into your life stories, I've, I've heard some of your life stories, a lot of them. Some of them include alcoholism. There's some that include um, abortions. There's some stories about drug abuse. 
There's stories about infidelity. And God brought us out of that. Don't forget that. Don't forget from whence you came. And then he goes on. He reminds them of the Egypt story. The chapter in their history about Egypt. Oh, you remember that? You know, back there when we were being cruelly oppressed by the Egyptian pharaoh? And, 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 and how was it that we got out of there? Oh, uh, well, he sent Moses and Moses, by his gracious sovereign hand, or God's gracious sovereign, Moses performed all these plagues. Look at what he said. I plagued Egypt. Who plagued Egypt? Moses? No. Yahweh did that. And why did he do it? Well, because I was going to wrench my people out of the clutches of that cruel bondage. And after about 11 of those plagues, Pharaoh waved a white flag and and we were off and running on our own as a nation known as Israel. How did that happen? Well, that was because God did that. Then, you know, he mentions this part about the Red Sea. It's right there in verse 6. You remember that part. They hadn't been gone very long and dead gummit. God marched them right into harm's way. They got the Red Sea in front of them. And they've got the Egyptian army behind them. And so what does God do then? Well, He inserts this darkness in between Israel and the Egyptian army so that the Egyptian army can't see them because of the darkness. And as soon as the darkness is gone, he marches them right into the Red Sea and drowns them all. Hey, Israel, do you remember how we got out of that? Well, well, it was God. It was God who, who, who put that darkness in there. And thus we were, we were delivered from that army that was chasing us. And then as he tells this story, he somewhat shifts gears just a little bit. Because he reminds them, that is, Joshua reminds Israel while he's making this speech at Shechem. He reminds them of the, of the times that God's power on their behalf had been, had been exercised. 
You know, I, I've already mentioned the plagues that he sent in Egypt and that, that, that darkness that he put between us and the, and the Egyptian army and right there in front of the Red Sea. And, um, then of course there was, there was that story about the Amorites and I destroyed them. That's in verse eight. And then the Moabites, those Moabites, you know, who tried to hire Baal of uh, Balaam of Peor to try and curse us, but I didn't listen to that. Or, or better said, God didn't listen to that. In, in, instead of cursing them, you know what God did for us? He didn't listen to Balaam. Why? Heavens no. He did the very opposite. He, he blessed us. And then, ladies and gentlemen, you know, I think we always snicker when you, when you find this list of the, oh, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. You know, preachers like to throw in, and the termites. <laughs> isn't that cute? Ladies and gentlemen, this isn't cute. Do, do, you, do you know what, what this, what Joshua is doing? He's reminding Israel. Do you remember the Gergeshites? How terrified we were. How about those Hivites? Man, they were. They were big. They were ugly. They were mean. And the, and the Parasites? Why? We couldn't have possibly defeated the Parasites. And then, then the Canaanites? Why? They'd been in that land for, 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 for millennia. And God delivered us from the blasted Canaanites. Can you believe that? Do you remember? Do you remember the Jebusites? The Jebusites. Why the Jebusites were never been be- had never been beaten until we came along. And and then in this this statement of the profoundly obvious. In verse 12, he says, and by the way, it wasn't with your sword that, that we defeated all them. You didn't do that. God did that for us. And then to top it all off, I really think this is probably my favorite. It's in verse 7. It's the last part of verse 7. Yes. And I gave them into your hand and took possession of the land. And I destroyed them before before you. uh, Oh, above that. Oh, yes. Um, And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. What do you think that is? Oh, and by the way, you lived in a little... Oh, how, how long was it? Was it 40 years? Oh, okay, 40 years. Not about that. We lived in the wilderness. 40. That's not what's happening here, ladies and gentlemen. Joshua is saying, do you remember those long years in, in, in the wilderness? 
Do you remember all 40 of them? And, and, and you remember not one of us, not one of us died of starvation. Not a one of us. And not one of us died of thirst. And not only that, this is not mentioned in the text, but not only that, not a one of us had to go out and buy new sandals. Because God saw fit to it to make, make these sandals last 40 years. He provided for us. And, and he did that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, we've been stuck out there for 40 years. But guess what? Through all 40 of them. God. He provided for us. He sustained us. And he did it a long time. My brother and sister in Christ, can, can you begin to feel the, the gentle handcuffs of God's goodness beginning to slip over the wrists of your heart? Joshua stands at Shechem and speaks to the people of God and says, Do you know where you came from? Do you know that apart from his sovereign grace, you'd still be serving idols? You'd still be a drunk? You'd still be messing around with drugs? You'd still be running around on your wife? But God took us out of that miry bog of idolatry. And then, then there was those circumstances in, in my job and with the kids and and you know what he did? He led. And you know, I look back at those Red Sea moments that I can mention half a dozen of. And you know what? This, this, this God of ours was, was faithful to me every step of this way. And I remember, I remember just personally, you know, ladies and gentlemen, people don't go to the ministry to make money. If you think you're going to get rich in this, you um, you better go someplace else. But I remember early on, I mean, I make more money now than I've ever made in my life. But it hasn't always been like this. I remember early on having three small girls. And you can ask this woman if I didn't say this a thousand times. How are we going to educate these girls? How are we going to pay for those weddings? And I look back. And all three of my girls are educated. And all three of my girls are married. And all three of those weddings are paid for. How do you do that? 
because he led. He provided. He sustained. And he did it. For a long time. Now. We come to verse 14. And Joshua says. Now. Therefore. In light of all of his kindnesses. In light of all of his provisions. In light of all of his goodnesses. In light of all of those deliverances. I want you to serve him. It took 11 chapters for Paul to get to the point where he finally said, Now therefore, it took Joshua 11 verses. He has listed for Israel this and this and this and this and this. And he's done it for a long time. Don't you love that? I tell you what, we don't have time, but let's just everybody take 15 seconds and just review. All that. Serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Ladies and gentlemen, what sort of commitment does a God like this call for? A weak one? An indifferent one? A trifling one? You know, in the locker room, they have a word for it, and I can't use it from the pulpit, but I wish I could. A half-hearted one? Is that what he deserves? For what he has wrought in us. In in light of all of the grace that he has displayed. Is that all? That he gets from us. 
verse 15. He pushes Israel, that is Joshua, pushes Israel to a place where they are, they are faced with a, with a big choice, an either or. You know, it, it reminds me, I mean, of course this is, I'm dating myself, but th- there was this scene, and, and they made a movie out of it, uh, the Alamo, Davy Crockett and all those guys, and, and Jim Bowie had already been, had already been wounded, and, and, um, they, he was on a cot, at least in the movie. And, um, and he comes out and he, and, um, you know, Santa Ana's forces are all outside the, 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 the Alamo and they look out in the horizon and there's no reinforcements coming. And, and so, um, you know, Davy Crockett in his coonskin hat is there with his big rifle and, and, and Davy Boone, uh, Davy, uh, or, uh, Jim Bowie takes his knife. He draws this line in the sand. He says, if you want to go, get on that side. If you want to stay, get on this side. That's what Joshua's doing in verse 15. I want you to choose this day. I want you to choose now. You know, ladies and gentlemen, life is full of choices. Some of them are, are, are trivial, but some choices are crucial. And this is one of those crucial ones. And let, let me tell you just a little bit about it. This choice. Just a little bit about it. Three quick things. First of all, it requires something negative before there's something positive. Notice he says, put away your gods. You gotta say no. Before you say yes. My friends. What are you still holding on to? That prevents you. From a firm choice to serve Yahweh. Remember that story about Cortez in Mexico in 1512 when he had his boats burned out in the harbor? We ain't going back. Well, tell me, my friend, what haven't you burned? What are you unwilling to burn? The porn? The, uh, the, the crowd? That lust for fame? That bad habit, that illicit person? Ladies and gentlemen, you will never say yes until you first said no. This line in the sand requires a no before it allows for a yes. Secondly, choose this day for yourself. It's not important what anybody else chooses. It's only important what you choose. But nobody else can make that call for you, ladies and gentlemen, and you can't have mine. Your mommy and daddy can't make it for you. Your husband can't make it for you. Your preacher can't make it for you. 
You choose. This day, now. Which is thirdly, to make no choice, ladies and gentlemen, is to make a choice. The text says choose this day. If you leave here today making no choice, then you made a choice, at least for another day. You've chosen your idols, at least for another day. To make no choice is to make a choice. And it's a choice that says, for one more day at least, I want to worship the idols. It's a true story. In 1829, George Wilson was sentenced to be hanged by a United States court for murder. He was offered a pardon by Andrew Jackson, the then president. But he refused the pardon and accepted execution instead. The Chief Justice of the Supreme Court was a man by the name of John Marshall at the time, and he was asked to rule. Because by his so doing, that is by George Wilson's refusing <coughs> to accept the pardon, he, um, he had created for the court, the high court, a, an enormous dilemma. That dilemma being, is a pardon offered, but not accepted, valid nonetheless? This was the court's ruling. I quote, A pardon is a piece of paper the value of which depends upon its acceptance by the person implicated. It is hardly to be supposed that one under sentence of death would refuse to accept a pardon. But if it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. And George Wilson was hanged. You know, sometimes I look at the non-Christian world, I look at non-Christians that perhaps might be here today, and I think, oh, how blinded you are. Don't you realize that every decision that you're making is simply tightening the noose around your own neck? And then I remember, before God intervened on my behalf, I was just as blind. I lived a life with no standards, no reference point. No absolutes. Life was just a jumbled up mess. Anybody there? And I say to you, my friend, that the gospel holds out the promise of deliverance for you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you choose to refuse that,
you will be hanged. Eternally. Our Father, I do pray that you will use this piece of your word to remind us of all the the kindnesses that you have displayed to us. And that what is what is a reasonable response is that we present our bodies as living sacrifices. That you own us, we belong to you, and we are glad. It would, um, it would be one thing if we belonged to Moloch. But we belong to Yahweh. A God who is good. And has provided for us and led us and sustained us for a long time. And we glory in you. Father, if you brought people here this morning who have not yet met the Savior of ours, would you, would you open their eyes to see what so many of us saw at some year, some point in the past? That there was a, no real point to life. There were no absolutes. There were no, was no direction except making more money so that I could get up and spend it foolishly again so that I could go make some more of it. Would you cause them to see the great beauty that is ours as a life in Christ? Do that, Father. For Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.